and welcome to Pod on the Dog, episode six. I'm Brody Hardcastle. You can find me at Brody Hardcastle on Instagram to follow all the latest shenanigans in Dogdom. So joining me this week is a real entrepreneur with his finger in so many pies, an amazing multi-award winning groomer and king of colour who not only loves all things traditional with his dog styling, but also is a creative soul with a huge talent for bringing a fresh new look to the dog scene. From lasses to little poodles, this gorgeous groomer is now starring in Pooch Perfect USA and has a brilliant backstory to boot. So welcome, Gabriel Feitosa. Oh, uh, thank you. Thank you. So sweet. Thank you. Did you like that intro? Yeah, I've been like, damn. (laughs) (laughs) So we're straddling the day as Gabriel is in, are you in California? Yeah, I'm in San Diego, California. And I'm in the north of England. So on this podcast, I am drinking an apple and mango juice. I thought it's a bit early for wine, otherwise I would have not had. <laughs> and it's a bit late for coffee, so. <laughs> yeah, I'm drinking water because I've been in this kick that I'm trying to like, not having too much caffeine because I was drinking like a lot of caffeine before working out in the gym, and I realized that I was like having a little bit of anxiety. Mm. So I started like I was like I wouldn't know how I feel without any caffeine. So I'm having like this break from. Do you have headaches? Because when I've given up caffeine before, I get a really bad headache. So obviously, I know that I must obviously have been a bit reliant on that caffeine. No, actually, I don't. I actually do, don't at all. I just, I feel good, actually. Um, I, and I'm also surprised because I thought the caffeine would give me, like, energy to, like, push harder at the gym or, like, go, mm. you know, further. But I actually feel, like, the same strength and I can do the same. It's just that um, my anxiety reduced because I was feeling quite anxious because you know it's yeah. borrowed energy it's, it's not the energy like you 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 already have the energy and like you're running out and you have that caffeine and then you wake up again but then when you crash all that tiredness is like mm. accumulated yeah and you can probably get it nutritionally before you work out and after you work out as well rather than having yeah. caffeine right yeah i'm just i'm just sticking with water and tea and I'm, even though with the green tea i'm trying to drink decaf so mm. Yeah, what about the matcha? My husband drinks that matcha green tea. It's like the powder. I think it's meant to be yeah. really, like really strong green tea. I never tried it at home. I have it looks, like, it looks Starbucks. Amazing. It's <laughs> it good. Awesome. I like it, but oh. I, I, I have to buy it to because to, I don't have it at home. So let's start at the beginning, Gabriel. What's your first dog memory? Did you grow up around dogs? Um, yes, I grew up around dogs. Actually, when I was very, very little, I used to not like dogs. I used to like cats. Uh, <laughs> because my mom had two big German shepherds and they would like throw me on the floor every time. Like mm. if I was out with that, when the dogs were like running around the patio, they were always like throw me on the floor. So I used to be a little scared of them. Um, and I really like cats. So I begged my mom to have a cat. She's like, no, you're going to have a fish. So I had the fish. (laughs) (laughs) That's a rotten compromise. (laughs) (laughs) And then she gave me a cat. Um, But then later in life, my sister got a toy poodle. Then that's when everything changed because, you know, it was like an indoor dog, a small dog, very cute, fluffy, hairy. And that's when everything started. So where did you grow up? I grew up in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Mm-hmm. on the uh, far east side which is um is the, the slum side really of brazil of sao paulo there is a lot of um you know small houses um mud streets and yeah. that's yeah that's that's where i grew up at. yeah and when did you move to america then it was on 2000 it's been like Oh my god, I don't remember. I think it's about it's 2016. Oh, so you haven't been here that long? No, uh, I think sorry. it was also, also 2000. Sorry, I think it was 2000, it was 2021. It was 2014 that I moved mm. to the US. It was it's not that long, really. No, no. So, you and my watched... English is actually seven years old, Max. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's very good. And you can, you oh, can understand you. me, okay? Yeah, I can. Okay, great. So I love you your, sh- your accent. Oh, thank you. So I'm from the north of England. So, um, mate, I'm from Yorkshire specifically. There's a lot of different dialects in England, mm-hmm. which you might know about. So, um, but I think mine's quite straightforward. It's quite easy to yeah, understand. Yeah, it's very easy. Yeah. You show dogs too. 
Uh, how did it yeah. come about that you would handle such a variety of dogs? I've seen that you've handled Lassas, Shelties, Bichons, Standard Poodles, Chinese Crested Yorkies. I'm probably missing some <laughs> yeah. too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, when I was about 16 years old, I got a job on Hampton Court Kennels, which was Victor Malzoni Jr. Kennel in Brazil, which is a very well-known kennel. He, they, he won Westminster twice with King and Sky. Um, and he, his kennel was like a shopping center, you know, they, he, like it was huge. Mm. Um, the, the architecture of it was like beyond any kennel you've ever seen before. Wow. And I was just very lucky because I wanted to move out of my, my sister's house that I was living and I was about 16 and I got the job that I could live in the kennel and work there. Right. So mm. when I went to work there, I realized that he had so many exotic breeds, a lot of breeds that only existed in Brazil, including, oh, wow. um, and, and, you know, Cairn Terrier, Irish Terrier, mm. Fox Terrier. I could go like all day, Chinese wow. and wow. then Parson Russell, Scottish, and all of them were like the number one of each breed in the country. Um, and then when I got there, um, of course, I was a groomer, so they, uh, after a while that I showed them that I could groom, they gave me the chance to learn how to groom so like, we could prepare the dogs for the show because they had like about 100 dogs and they were all captain hand stripping. They were all cap like show looking. Yeah. And um, so that's what I would do all day. And they brought Gabriel Angel to Brazil to, to train us a few times. They brought Santiago Pinto. They brought, they brought um, Rebecca mm-hmm. Cross. So it's like I got to know these people, which was like something, it was a big privilege in Brazil, getting to know yeah. these like superstars, American handlers and, mm-hmm. and learning from them. And and that, so after I left the kennel and I got back to my, my losses and, you know, I started showing some long haired dogs like Yorkies, yeah. Beaver Terriers, which were very new in the country, yeah. um, Bichons. And, and then one thing led to another. Amazing opportunity. Uh, yeah. all the hard work aside what an amazing opportunity to be able to yeah. handle and prepare to you know to that level all yeah, those different yeah. beautiful it, dogs it really is like especially in brazil like where i come from um a lot of these dogs you would only see in a magazine and the mm-hmm. fact that i would have the chance to see them up close was already cool much less touching them and like working their hair because yeah. he would bring dogs from all over the world like super high quality um dogs and you know i was like over the moon it was a lot of hard work and of course um when you're learning you know your mentor sometimes shatter your your ego because you're like yes. oh my god i'm so proud of this haircut and they look but you're so well. you're so eager to impress as well aren't you like yeah like, yeah wow yeah and then they look at <laughs> they look at the haircut and they're like eh, it looks like shit and you're like oh, <laughs> come on but then if, if it happens like Often enough, it gets to a point that you learn how to take criticism really well and stop getting your ego so involved. Um, but yeah, it was, yeah. it was, it was quite an experience, but you know, it, it definitely prepared me for life. It was like going to military, military, yeah, it was, but no, it's boot dog camp. grooming. It's like, yeah. it's grooming showing boot camp. <laughs> yeah, it really was. Would you say that showing dogs has given you a greater understanding for canine anatomy? And this has also helped to improve your styling, especially with the varied amount of dogs that you've had your hands on and being able to, and, and the quality dogs as well. Uh, has this been able to help you style a dog in a way that really suits each dog that's on your table? Yeah, most definitely. I feel like every groomer should have a boot camp experience in the dog show world. The reason for it is that you start seeing the dogs differently. You don't see the dogs just as a cute animal that you want to beautify it. You start mm-hmm. seeing them as, you know, they're, all the study that came behind them, all the history that came behind that breed, how they move, how they're built. And then when you know that base and you get any pet, you can make them look good because you already have that, that, that background, right? Including when you do creative grooming, like all the creative grooming that I did on the show, I would think, okay, this looks good, but what, what about when they walk? How's that going to look like? Is this going to fall apart? Is this going to like keep their top line? Is this going yeah. to, you're trying to enhance the high. dog rather than yeah, just shove yeah. any old hairstyle on it. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I feel like this is uh, a necessity that every groomer should go through. They're like at least one time, take like a year in their career and just dedicate to be a handler's assistant or a, a breeder's assistant, just so they can see a little bit of the backbone, what, what we do, because like even the, schna- the regular schnauzer that we get in our shop, 
a regular Maltese or a regular Yorkie. They were made that way for, for a reason and there are standards that are, you know, to be met. And if you know that, um, you can make everything better, I think, I feel like. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I don't think that I totally had a grasp on my poodle trimming until I started, uh, you know, as a salon groomer before I started actually showing poodles. Mm-hmm. And um, the, I, I definitely learned the most from actually showing as opposed to doing grooming competitions. Yeah. Well, because grooming competitions, you're grooming a dog to stay still, you know, mm-hmm. like, and like, what about everything else? What about when they move? Is it their rib cage look good? Is this their their loin looks too long? Does the the dog looks yeah. too long? You know, like uh, are their hocks touching? Because like yeah. when your dog's staying still, you can like make really thick back legs. But what about when they when they walk? So you know, look like they're crossing your hocks. Yeah, um, you don't want that flappy hair distracting from you know nice movement. Exactly. So I feel like it's it's very necessary. Yeah. So obviously you've shown dogs and you also have entered a fair few grooming competitions as well. Do you have a preference? Yeah. What, what do you prefer doing? Uh, I would prefer grooming competitions. Mm-hmm. And do you have any yeah. advice for anyone thinking about going into this competition? Grooming work? competitions? Yeah. Um, well, go to the boot camp and show dogs first. <laughs> How do we get, where is this boot camp? <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> yeah, that is a must because uh, not only are you going to get uh, a great knowledge from it. You're also going to get uh, contacts with the breeders and people that have good dogs because going into the grooming competition, you don't want to just take a regular pet client. You want to take a very nice flashy dog where you can ex- execute their best work. It's almost like having a very good pot of clay that you can make a good sculpture with. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's hard for you to stand out in a crowd if there's like a superstars right in, in the grooming competition when you don't have uh the same level of a dog so mm-hmm. going to the boot camp and learning how to handle dogs learning about anatomy and structure you're not only going to be better at it when you go to the grooming competition but you're also going to probably going to have access to better dogs because you created relationships with breeders handlers and people that have those dogs that yeah. they will trust you to to handle them in the grooming competition yeah, yeah think as well trying to find a good coat because you can have a structurally beautiful dog that doesn't have the greatest coat so it's it's almost double whammy because you need to find that beautiful forgiving coat as well well yeah but like look when i went to to grumania i i i rented a bichon right and it's like going there i just could see a picture of the dog and i went there and just saw the dog in the day off which had a very thin coat um but when you are in you know you go through that boot camp and you have all that contact with breeders you literally have a pool of dogs to choose from you have dogs bigger smaller different colors different textures that you can you're not you're not the reason i talk about the grumania you're not tied to one dog they're like oh i hope this dog's gonna work out you yeah. if you know the people you can just be like oh i what about that dog what about the other dog what about that dog because then you can you have more act. You have then more you can pick the one options. With the yeah. Coat. yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what elements of your work do you enjoy the most? And do you prefer one activity during your working day to another? Do you bath your own dogs, for instance? Um, the activity that I work and enjoy the most is scissoring, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't mind baiting them. I don't mind. I don't do it right now because we have. So many clients, and I feel like all of my employees, we should be doing what we do best to keep the shop going during the day. Yeah. And I feel like I'm the fastest as scissoring, and I like doing it. So they give me the dog ready and clean, and I can just give them a haircut. Um, And my favorite part of all of it is creating, like, uh, expression on pets. Because mm. I like to find that feature that makes them unique. Sometimes they have, like, a really big ear, and I want to make it, like, even bigger. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so because they're like, okay, you already like this something that looks odd, then mm-hmm. all, all of a sudden becomes like a signature look of that dog. That's a really good way like- of thinking. Whereas <laughs> my thinking is, I, I'm just, I'm particularly thinking about a Schnauzer mix that I groom that's got enormous ears, and I take the ears as short as possible to try and make them look smaller. <laughs> Whereas you're, oh, no, going, you're those, going the yeah. completely opposite way. Yeah, I would be. 
I would be like, oh, the dog has like really unusual ears. What if you leave the hair on mm. and shave everything else around it? And then it's going to look even bigger. Yeah. <laughs> Extreme papillon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love it. I love doing those things. I love breaking the boundaries of, you know, for so many years, I was so tied to the standard and, and doing show dogs. And when it comes to pets and, you know, people don't, some, some people, they don't really care for um, breed standard. And they just want the very unique looking dog, which is you know, how society is like, right? Uh, how society is right now, right? We don't want to look alike anybody. We want to look different. We want to be original. So I like giving the dogs that original look too. That's awesome. So boasting time, tell me what your proudest moments are. Um, I was really proud when I won Best in Show in Chile. Um, I I think my proudest moment in competitions in the United States was winning, being in the top five in jackpot uh, two years in a row, which is a very tough competition. Mm, yeah, Everybody's doing what they do best and they all bring their number one dog to do that competition. And, you know, there's 40 competitors. So being in the top five for two years in a row was definitely a proud moment and being in mm. Pitch Perfect, honestly, because, you know, it's one of the first times where we have such exposure on, on media and being there and winning the premiere was really nice. Yeah. So, uh, quick question, obviously about Pooch Perfect. Quick Pooch Perfect chat. <laughs> I was obviously one of the judges of the UK show, but I've not actually been able to watch any of the American show because it's not over here. I've only caught snippets through socials and obviously looked at a lot of the awesome photos and work that you've done. Where are we up to in the competition at the moment over there? Has it finished? I don't think it's finished yet, has it? Uh, no, um, tomorrow, which is, um, uh, Tuesday, we're going to be on the semifinals, which okay. is, uh, and you're still in design. it at the moment. Then <laughs> I'm still on the run. <laughs> and how did you find the experience? Um, it was a very stressful experience to be honest. <laughs> yes, it, is. it was quite stressful, I think, but in the UK one as well. <laughs> oh my God. It's like, we don't realize when we watch reality TV competitions mm-hmm. and, you know, we see some, a girl on the voice crying, like I'm <laughs> yeah. so tired and you're like, come on, you could have done better, you know? But, um, yeah, you've, only, you've only been up there five minutes. Come on. Exactly. Exactly. Well, you but then, <laughs> exactly. You're like, come on, stop whining. But, <laughs> We don't realize how many hours it is mm. to be filming such a thing and like how many days in a row, you know, we will start on Monday, you know, all the way to Saturday and we will leave the hotel at six in the morning and come back at 11 PM. So, um, and also we would get our dogs assigned to us. The pictures of the dogs would be handled the night before. So, um, if you had a different idea of the design that you wanted to do yeah, and it wasn't going to work and, and it wasn't going to work. And oh, you, no. you know, and we were grooming pets. We didn't, we didn't have like, uh, all the same white dog to everybody work with the same one person would be handled a black standard, the other person, a white miniature poodle, the other person, a Laza Apso. Yeah. And they're like, make a creative grooming out of this. And, um, so that was very stressful because like, you know, I'm the kind of person that when it comes to grooming and, and, and competitions and ideas, I like to be prepared. I like to have my design ahead of time. I like to have, you know, I like to set myself up for success, but it was hard. It was a hard task because I was not only very exhausted, you know, mm-hmm. let's get in the interview in the morning. Let's talk about our childhood and now smile and be on, be on camera. Yeah. And you're and basically you're, zombie groomers walking around. Uh, yeah. And then people will come in and then the, you started the haircuts, which you were trying to do good. And they were pets. So some of them were not trained to be on the table. And then um, in the middle of it, the producers would come like, let's talk about this design. How are you feeling? How are you doing? And the clock wouldn't stop. So, um, and then in the end of it, you get criticized and you don't want to leave. You want to stay, you want (laughs) to compete. So it's like, it's it's stress all around. Yeah. Yeah. So then when you get to Thursday, by filming like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, anything will set you off. Anything will make you cry. Yes. There was was lots of tears in our production as well. I think everyone's just so emotional. Everyone's invested. Everyone's so tired. (laughs) Yeah. And you, and you want to make, you want to make everybody proud and you want to make yourself proud. You know, you want to leave knowing that you did everything you could, Mm -hmm. all the best that you could do. Yeah. I think that we don't realize with, uh, I didn't realize with TV productions like that, how much went into it. 
Like how many yeah. cameras, how many crew? Yeah. You know, what what sort of big budget shows these are? It's crazy. Isn't yeah. It? Yeah. It, yeah. It was insane. Like being grooming with three cameras around you all the time. You have a mic on the entire day. Everything you say, even if you whisper, yes. they can hear it. So you're like, you can't say anything. You say, you're censored uh, completely. Yeah, you're completely. But, you know, it gets to a point that you're just so unfazed by it. Like mm-hmm. in the first days, it's hard. But the other days, for me, the stress was mainly really the, the uncertainty of the dog that I was going to get and if I was going to be able to execute it and in time or not. Yeah, so if you, you're wrapping at 7 p.m., you've just got your photo for the next day. It's not the dog you're expecting. You're in for one oh, sleep no, night, we were not wrapping. we were not wrapping at 7 p.m. We were wrapping at 11 p.m. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Ouch. Ouch. I think that we had... And then we would get the photo for the next day. And they were like... Oh, uh, no. On the Disney Challenge, I remember um, that I had like a design, which was, you know, the white Pegasus. And I wanted a small dog to do. And they handled me this this big doodle with brown hair. And it was like very wavy, the coat. And it was mm. there was no texture. And then I was like, okay, well, that design, it's too small for this dog. And this is brown. I don't know what to do with the brown dog. She make a Hercules. And I never carved a Hercules face in the dog before. And I remember drawing to like two in the morning. And I had to be, again, up at six, ready to leave. Um, I was so sleep deprived. I was so tired. And I was like... Having a meltdown. No, no, you know, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) I remember going back. I remember going back to the green room, and my assistant Monse, she was eating on the day of the on the day of Disney Challenge. She was like having lunch, and I remember like looking at her. I was like, "Look, I'm gonna eat because the sound of your eating and drinking that water is driving me crazy." (laughs) (laughs) Every time she would drink water, and I would hear the bubbles of the bottle. I wanted to like. You, you made, yeah, I was going to say. He <laughs> was seriously sleep deprived. Everything was making you angry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, thank goodness you're a creative soul. You're so well known for your creative styling and really thinking outside the box with your designs. Where do you get your inspiration from? Because I, that would have me stumped. Um, I get my inspiration about honestly everything. It can be. An emoji, it can be a meme on the internet, it can be uh, a movie. I literally look for, or, or in the case of the show, they, they, they really wanted to do something personal, right, to you and something that relates to you. And I feel like yeah. it was a good thing because I, I also paint, you know, I, I paint oil, uh, I do oil paintings and I did a lot of mm-hmm. drawing and, and sketching classes when I was younger. And I've seen so, you putting all your designs on t-shirts as well. Yeah, but these these designs are not um, these ones. I didn't draw myself, but so I create another layer of the art to be commercial, right? So like, okay, yeah. I made I made this art on the dog, so now let's create another layer of that art where it would be sellable, like translating the creativity to a point where people could actually purchase and get involved to the process with you that is so business savvy by the way <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> <you>. <laughs> uh well and i try to make it personal too with the with the merch designs like uh what do i like and i was like i'm, I'm a total geek i love video games i love anime so i was like all right i want to do something that looked like uh pokemon i want to mm-hmm. do something that looked like my childhood but like if i'm creating my own pokemons right now based on my work with dogs so it all tied together really well and you know, people really, really like it. Yeah, and it's stuff that um, it's stuff that we've you know never seen before. Like, obviously, that fish design that yeah. it looks like the fish <laughs> is eating the dog. Yeah, that was absolute genius. It really was uh, absolute genius. Yeah, thank you. So it's like for me, it's like developing a story. When you come mm. to that, I was like, okay, do an animal design that relates to you. And I was like, well, my first pet was a goldfish. And I had oh, a, yeah, a, a goldfishes before. <laughs> back to yeah. the non-cat disappointing goldfish. Yeah. So the story <laughs> of the design, which if you didn't watch the show was, so my mom gave me this goldfish, right? And then she bought a beta fish and put in the same tank of the goldfish. And beta fish are supposed to be fishes that stay alone. So they started fighting, of course, but the goldfish was much bigger and they killed the beta fish. And they started like eating the beta fish. And my mom oh. laughed, the, laughed the fish there. She didn't take <laughs> it out. Um, so um, my idea was, okay, my first, my first pet was a, a goldfish that ate the beta fish. What if my 
goldfish is so ferocious right now and it grows so much that it's eating the dog. So, and then when you're creating it, including the course that I released online now, teaching how to make the bait of the, the goldfish design, mm-hmm. I, I teach people how to walk through the creative process. Like, okay, you're going to create a goldfish, right? So the goldfish is, of course, underwater. So what about adding elements that, that translate water? Like uh, some, you're doing Asian fusion head, but some like green turquoise and, and blue on the head and on the paw yeah, yeah. that we would tie it with the design which is uh, a fish that is orange. You can wave it. It could look like yeah. water. Yeah. I see what so you're that's, from, yeah. Yeah. So I feel like you, you create a story and once you, you have the concept of it, you just realize where you want to put it and what colors you're going to work around it to create mm-hmm. that, to bring that to life. I think that if it was myself and I was thinking, right, what's my earliest pet memory, this goldfish, I would have just stopped because there was, I wouldn't have been able to work out a way of being able to translate that <laughs> onto a breed. So, and you did and you nailed it. So this credit to <laughs> your creativity. You. <laughs> we both you. know how important preparation work is. You are an ambassador for Hydra range of dog cosmetics, right? Yeah. Yes. So, just want to find out what's your go-to routine on a show bath for a wool coat. Uh, what do you mean wool coat is like? Uh, uh, so let's let's take your favorite, Bichon. Oh, okay, wool coat. I had no idea you guys called that. Oh, um, so yeah, we call like a wool coat. So poodle, <laughs> Bichon, you know that type Bedlington. Well, they're more linty, but yeah, wool coat. I, I learned something new today. Um, well, my favorite routine. It actually depends a little bit on the weather. Because, for example, here in the U.S., there's, there's some parts that are, like, desert-like. Mm. Uh, but I love to use uh, clarifying shampoo. Um, and I actually mix the clarifying with the whitening shampoo mm. when I'm using in the first bath. So the dog is clean and has, like, some little shade of uh, uh, fluorescent, fluorescent uh, shampoo. And then um, after that, I like to use a volumizing shampoo. And that's it. And, and rinse the dog and dry. I like when mm. I'm, like taking the water out and the hair is squeaking. Yeah. That it, and it, also clean. when you're drying them, you can almost can't keep up with yourself because the hair's... Yeah, and the so shoulder fast. is hurting. Yeah. yeah. And, then, like, <laughs> and then it's so hard. To yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but um, here in the US, sometimes I need to add a light conditioner in the end because if you have... If you're grooming like in super zoo and it's a desert, it, it, the air is so, so dry that if you have no moisture left in the hair, it creates so much static that you can't go oh, run right, the comb okay. through. Yeah. So I, I like to use uh, Hydro has a shim, uh, conditioner called Thermoactive um, mm-hmm. Deep Conditioning Mask. And it's, uh, it's very, very light conditioning that I like to put in some parts of the dog. For example, it's a bichon. I would avoid putting in the head, but I would put it all over the body mm. and, and rinse it just so there's some combability through the dog too. Um, yeah. when you, especially if you're being judged, the judge is going to come after you're done and it's going to comb through your dog. Um, and if the comb doesn't go through and it gets stuck, it's more than likely they're going to pull some of undercoat and it's going to yeah. look like it's And then finished. they're going to, yeah, they're going to, yeah. they're going to leave some <laughs> yeah. of finish. Yeah. So I like to have like a little bit of, uh, I would say like lubrication on the coat when it comes to the contact with the comb. Um, if it's too dry there. Now, if it's mm-hmm. like a rainy day or if it's like uh, a rainforest, like if, if I'm doing in Brazil, then I wouldn't use any conditioner. No, no. We, um, we're quite humid here as well. So yeah. I, I, I wouldn't typically use a conditioner unless it was a maintenance bath. Yeah, yeah. 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 That that would be the same here. It's just that depending on where, at, for example, when I went to, to Belgium, they have, they have a very hard water and it was very, the, the product worked different. So the, oh, yeah. the trick, the trick that they gave us was to use the final rinse with some, um, uh, a cap of apple cider vinegar with the water okay. to remove some of that hardness in the mm-hmm. end. And it worked really well, but it was like, you know, everywhere you go, it, it's a bit of a challenge. Cause like mm-hmm. here in the U S too, the, the hardness of the water varies a lot from the East coast to the, to the uh, West coast. Sure. So you, you, the, the products when you dilute the products and when you're rinsing and when you're using conditioner um um the, the hair reacts differently yeah yeah absolutely and uh, we do have some variants in uh, water hardness here as well you can get testing kits so if you're not sure you can actually test your red water <laughs> wow yeah. i i never went that far i just yeah. like touch it and the 
by touching the hair, I'm like, okay, this feels a little weird. Let me try something different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you've got, obviously, you've had such a busy year and you've really shone in 2021. So what does 2022 hold for you, Gabriel? What's your goals moving forward? Wow. <laughs> I, never, I have deep, so much things to do. So, you don't have time to think, do you? <laughs> I have so much to do this year still that I never thought about what to do next year. But what I want to do is I want to keep investing time on my education and creative project, which what it, what it really, the ultimate goal for that project is that I want to create a project where people from all over the world, let's suppose a person from Brazil, where I came from, wants to learn how to do, uh, I don't know, a Westie Terrier. Yeah. Um, I want them to be able to use the money of one or two haircuts max to pay for a class. Mm-hmm. Cause like when I came, where I came from, it was very hard to find somebody that would teach you those things. So I, I didn't have much resources. So I worked for free for a lot of people so I could learn, um, or seeing one of those haircuts up close. So I want to create an educational project that brings, um, grooming education to those countries where people don't have as much access as we do here in the West to watch seminars and webinars and, all this groomers and social media. Um, so right now I created a, a online class, which is mainly to be sold for first world countries. But soon as I can get that project going and moving and we can like be generating regular income for it, my goal is to put subtitles or voiceovers on my own videos so I can sell the same educational content for poor countries for like a fraction of the price. Yeah. So everybody that was the situation that I was when I was growing up can, can have access to those things and that information and, you know, grooming changed my life. I came from the slums and now I live in the, in the U S I have a, a beautiful shop. I have my online, two online businesses. And now I am opening the third one with the educational um, material. Mm. But all of that was because of grooming dogs and the skills yeah. that I had with, with dogs, either to be creative grooming or pet grooming or show grooming. You can make money doing anything and you don't need to have uh, much to learn. You know, if you have a pair of, a good pair of scissors, some brushes and a yeah. comb and, and somebody willing for to, it. yeah, you, you can do it. So yeah. I'm like this, just like it changed my life. I want to help changing other kids' lives that were in a situation that I was. That's so so that's my project yeah. for 2022 because it's like um i feel like during my career i had like a lot of dreams and aspirations to learn from people to like i want to work with this person i want to be in that event i want to speak in that event i want to judge some point i want to do all those things Mm -hmm. and by traveling several countries and doing all of that i feel like very accomplished as a person and then i had a moment that i was like okay now what what do i do no i did everything that i wanted to do i did everything that everybody else did but what do I want to do now? Am I going to just room for the rest of my life yeah. in the shop and call it good? You know what I mean? But I was like, no, I want to create an impact. And I want to do something that people haven't done before. And I want to think about who I was and how yeah. could I have had an easier time doing it. So, that, yeah, that's my, my ultimate goal now. Well, I think you've obviously had lots of successes. You are very successful, but you're also really driven. You've got a massive passion for what you do. But yeah. what's the most important thing is you've kept your feet on the ground. So what? you've kept your feet on the ground. Yeah. Do you you yeah. know that saying? Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's, it's important because it's like um, you can never forget where you came from. And I feel like what helped me kept my feet on the ground was mm-hmm. remember when I talked about my mentors crushing my ego over and over. Yeah. Yeah. When yeah. you're like, Oh, you've still, I, got I, that, you've still got that voice in the back I of your head. I still got it. I still got this it. This looks and it, like dog crap. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> wash it again. And I was like, but I just made it. Wash it again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, the thing is, I feel like when it comes to, to grooming, if you look at like, in a bigger lens, right? You're like, okay, I'm really talented in what I do. I'm, I'm really good of, of all of this. But um, I don't feel like having talent or having good skill in something ever would justify you being an asshole to other people. You know what I mean? And Definitely. there is people that, that get to that point. And I was like, and that, that's when I have to mm-hmm. think like, dude, it's dog hair. 
Yeah. No. We, you know what I mean? We actually <laughs> wash dogs' butts for a living. <laughs> exactly. And we all do it. And we yeah. all do it. And it's like, I, I don't like saying like, it's dog hair come down because it seems like it's diminishing. No, our crap. But it's like, at yeah. the same time, it's dog hair. It's yeah. going to grow back. That tip that somebody left mm-hmm. outside of that leg that you're bitching about, yeah. is going to grow back and the person can fix it. And it's like, it's, it's not, I feel like there's no reason to, to not do those things. Yeah. And also to not forget and also how have he was. respect for others, right? Yeah. And how, and not, not forget how he was when you were starting and you were like, nip the dog the first time and you were like desperate. And you, you looked at those crazy haircuts that we do now and you would think, Oh my God, I'm never going to be able to do something like that. We all been there. We all and look in the yeah, dog in the show ring and like, yeah, yeah. With our eyes darting around. Oh my gosh. I don't know exactly. what yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think we all need to remember how it was to be that way because mm-hmm. yeah, we, we worked, we're doing this for many years, but who is starting now? It's, it, it's scary because at, there's a lot of times they self doubt. You're like, I don't think you can do this. I don't think you can do this. And the reality is everybody can, if they work hard enough, Mm-hmm. And if they like are really passionate about it, but um, there is times that you think you can't. And I think remembering how did that felt back then, it's vital to feel empathy for people now. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And um, yeah, I mean, it was it was only eleven years ago that I was the girl walking into the grooming competition ring, you know. <laughs> yeah chewing all my nails down and (laughs) and thinking what am I doing here I don't know what I'm doing and and then all of a sudden in England I don't know if you do it everybody would finish their dogs they'd take the dogs down then they'd put a table covering over their table and then they'd and then they'd swap they'd put like a suit jacket on and then they'd stack the dogs and I was thinking what why didn't yeah i was a not prepared cloth, for this like, yeah, no exactly. one sent me the tablecloth memo so exactly yeah yeah <laughs> so but, you know, next can... time you got your tablecloth ready and your suit ready to go oh yeah i had an appropriate color for my dog matching yeah. suit i look like yeah. grade a twit <laughs> <laughs> exactly learn really fast yeah <laughs> i don't know what's sliding into your dms gabriel judging by your physique it's probably not just dog related questions but mine are just dog related questions so i thought it'd be really great to try and answer a few on this podcast so how do you feel about hashing out a few doggy dilemmas with me i asked on instagram for a few fresh questions and i had loads of people ask me them so thank you for everybody who sent me in a question so the first one is from heather she says hello what do you find the best way to clear that mouth area just below the nose on a dog safely? Um, I like to using to use one of those very small clippers mm-hmm. that barely have any vibration, and I feel like that's actually the safest one to clear out the hair around the mouth. Mm. Um, those those tiny clippers that you know, yeah, like the um, mini trimmers. Yeah, mm-hmm. that that's what I use, and I feel like it's much safer than using a scissor. Um, when doing it, I like to put my finger on the dog's teeth and, and, and then I put the lip above my finger and then I just like shave it really quick. But mm-hmm. there's also a few dogs that the dogs are too, too resistant to it. I just don't do yeah. it because then yeah. it, it gets dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> and then I got this question from CC Bally B on Instagram. How can I speed up my grooms? I'm on average. I take three hours for an average size dog to groom. Um, I think that my first question would be how long have you been grooming? Because if you've just started out, then, you know, it does yeah. take, if you've got a cockapoo, it takes a while to groom them. It takes a while. Um, I feel like a tip to speed up your grooming is for you to create a process for your haircuts that you repeat in every single dog. For example, I'm going to start um, doing a half inch in the dog's back and then I'm going to scissor the back legs. I'm going to start with the right leg first mm-hmm. and then I'm going to start doing the right leg, you're going to do the outside part, the inner part, and then the round the feet. And then you're going to do the left leg, outside, inner part, round the feet. Then you're going to move to the chest, polish the chest, do one leg, front leg, the other front leg. Then once that is all over, you're going to do the head. Mm-hmm. I feel like, especially when I was starting, you, I would you look so much You work in a routine then. Yeah, and then I would be like, oh, like I would scissor, I would be scissoring the back leg, and I would look at the hair of the front leg, and then I move to the front leg a little, and then I would go back to the back leg. That would be that would like waste a lot of time for me. So like I would, now I just focus 
on my process. So I was like, I do this first, that first, that first, that after, that after, and that after. And I feel like that makes my process much faster, including when it comes to drying, when it comes to washing, and when it comes to, to the haircut. If you, if you create like a step, step-by-step process mm-hmm. for yourself of how you do things, you're going to get it fast. Yeah. So be methodical and working in a routine. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Good advice. So Pippa via Instagram, she's also said she needs a shampoo recommendation to keep her black cocker spaniels coat looking really shiny. So I thought you'd be a good person to ask. Yeah. Mr. <laughs> um, well, shampoo. Just, uh, yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the shiny of the coat comes from moisture and oils, right? Mm-hmm. You just don't want to use too much oils to a point where the coat gets heavy. Um, however, cockers have a lot of density that they can take more oils than a regular dog. So I would use the um, uh, Hydra Auto Neutralizing Shampoo first, which is a strong cleanser, but it's not uh, it's not a clarifying shampoo. And then I would follow that with the perfect uh, the Tsuki Smooth Intense Repair, which is a mask that you put on the hair and leave it for ten minutes. It has keratin, cramp oil, and moringa oil, which adds a lot of shine and weight to the coat. Um, and you can finish that up with the thermoactive spray, shining spray that is argan and, and keratin, basically pure spray that you can just put on top of it and it's going to get a very, very shiny result. And you also can use a uh, bar brush. Um, uh, yeah, bristles, bristle brush, yeah. Yeah, on top of the coat, that will make the hair really shiny. Um, if you're not using uh hydro shampoo if you can't don't have access to it i would just consider looking into uh, a shampoo for for it sounds ironic actually but for curly hair like mm-hmm. for example um if you're using something that because usually products for curly hair have more oils than more nourishing for, quality yes yeah. yes so um i don't know actually what kind of products you guys have in the we UK, have Hydra in just... the UK. Oh, then there we go. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we do have it in the... I think... Uh, I, know, I, know, I know that Red, red, cape, red cape has Yeah, it. Red Cape yeah. supply it. Yeah. yeah, they do. And with a black cocker, I'd also say it's normally after castration or spaying that you'll see start seeing that dullness in the coat. So yeah. it could be another fact. If it's still not shiny, you might want to look at what you're feeding your dog on, obviously, because... That shine and that gloss can come from within. So you can look at giving them an Amiga fish oil supplement, things like yeah. that in their diet. Even if it's coconut oil on the, mm-hmm. the food, that would help some. Yeah. Because like a lot of times when you do kibble, you don't realize that there's not a lot of oils or moisture coming from within, right? You you put the oils from the top with the shampoo, but you don't realize how much is not coming from the inside. Mm-hmm. But like you said, if you do Omega or, or coconut oil on the food, it would help that moisture coming from inside out too. Yeah, there's a really good company in the UK called Dorwest Herbs, and they do specific supplements for dogs for coat health and things like that, which, you know, people might want to consider if they've got a dog they're using for competition. So we'll go on to our breed focus, and we thought we'd talk about the Lassa, because I think this was your original breed. Is that right? Yeah. Yes, it was. Ironically, it was. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The Lassa originated in Tibet. It's an ancient breed developed from the Tibetan Terrier, and also similar other herding type Tibetan dogs. The Lhasa was traditionally used as an indoor guard dog, whilst the Tibetan Mastiff would traditionally guard the exterior. In the early 1900s, a few of the breed were brought over by the military. They were returning from the Indian subcontinent to England. And this was in England, the breed was referred to as the Lhasa Terrier. The American Kennel Club officially accepted the breed in 1935 to the Terrier Group. It wasn't until 1959 that they were transferred to the non-sporting group, as you call it. In England, that's our utility group. Mm-hmm. The first lasses arriving in America were a gift in 1933 from the 13th Dalai Lama to a chap called Charles Cutting, CBE, who was an explorer, philanthropist, and author. <laughs> <laughs> and he had traveled to Tibet, met the Dalai Lama there. And he brought back the first Lhasa to America. And at this time, there was only one registered in the UK. What they like to live with? Are they a breed that people should consider owning? Uh, <laughs> uh, yes. Well, if you're only going to have one dog, they're very loyal dogs. However, they're not as friendly with strangers. Mm-hmm. Probably so, maybe um, dating back to their guarding. 
GTs? Yes, yes, definitely. And it's like in Brazil, they are in the toy group. We don't have non-sporting group in, in Brazil, so they are in the toy group. And it says in, in the in the the CBKC standard, which is a Brazilian kennel club, that from all the toys, the Laza is the only one who should not look like a toy, right? They should look like a, a little harder, like coarser coat and mm-hmm. a little stiffer, like stronger muscle, a, like mm-hmm. a, a sturdier body. Um, and they don't have as much of a gentle temperament with strangers as um, um, a Shih Tzu, for example. They're not, you know, like, they're not yeah. going to see somebody in the street and jump onto them. They're yeah. very, like, reserved. They're kind of dog that would choose one owner, and and they're very loyal to that person. Mm-hmm. Um, here in the United States, I, I notice more problems when it comes to temperament of, like, losses, biting, and being, like, more reserved, like, extremely reserved to strangers. My dogs, they were not as reserved. I had a lot of European bloodlines and mm-hmm. including some American bloodlines, but my dogs are very docile and they were like bark to strangers, but they would never, they would yeah. never bite. Um, so if you're considering having a dog and you have uh, time to brush them because they have a lot of hair and they have a lot of undercoat, but you have time to, to brush them and you want um, a very loyal companion, I would recommend you having a loss yeah, but, maybe maybe the lines are different in the UK. Obviously, we groom a lot of lasses. I groom a couple that are in full coat, but mostly mm-hmm. they're in a clip down, you know, clip body yeah, jacket uh, and long yeah, neck uh, pet style. But they're yeah. they're lovely dogs. I find them really, really sweet, really affectionate. Yeah, maybe they're not the sort of dog that would go jumping all over strangers, but um, yeah. but I wouldn't think of them as a nippy breed. You know. What I like, yeah, yeah, and I feel like this comes from the European bloodline. Mm-hmm. Um, here in the US, a lot of them in the show, you can't say hi and pat them because they can be a little um, very reserved. Now, um, when it comes to, to losses, I, I, would, I would recommend the person having one if they can't keep up with the hair because a lot of times they, when they're short, they're not as sweet looking as a sheets for example i like i really love their their look when they have very long hair because the texture of their coat looks like human hair yeah um and i it's, really and I it's really, wow isn't it yeah yeah it's it's i really like that um but you know um they're very nice dogs they're very healthy and the, the, the other nice part is that they're quite independent so they can spend Sometime alone if they need to, and they don't have to be on top of you all the time. If you're, if you're, um, I don't know, playing video games, they will like lay in your feet or yeah. on, on the floor. Not um, like a poodle who wants to be yeah, scarfed. They need to be like, <laughs> near a head. Yeah. yeah. Like a parrot. A pillow. Literally, it literally has to be a pillow. <laughs> Which yeah, now I have three poodles. I love them. I love how needy they are too. Oh, they're but, so needy. Um, yeah, but I, they, I think uh, like a strong the losses is definitely their independence and their their strong character and their loyalty to the owner. How popular are they over there in America? Because they're really not very, very popular, popular here. They're not very popular here. They're, at all. they're very popular okay. in Brazil. Yeah, mm. here I think I have only two customers that are lazas, and they're kept short. There, I would say where I live, uh, I don't know whether it's the same all over England, but in the north of England, they're probably one of the top five most popular breeds that I grew. Wow, really? Yeah, like super popular. Wow. That's very popular. <laughs> but then yeah. maybe, maybe I just, you know, when one lasser person comes to you, then you seem to, they tell all their friends who've got the same breed in the town and then they all yeah. end up coming to I, you. I'm here, I, I'm like this Pomeranian. Yeah. <laughs> here I have like so many palms in the shop, which I love, but they, I have so many. I have like five pomeranians a day at the shop yeah so you're thinking gosh there's so many poms in my town and then <laughs> exactly. your neighbor's like there's none what do you want about there's yeah, exactly <laughs> yeah oh here in the united states is definitely doodles there's doodles everywhere oh, yeah. it's like same. it's like it's number one uh, now here yeah here it's the same yeah. it's, it's so many doodles is it doodles as in like a broad sweeping Abroad sweeping. Yeah. Of okay. any poodle mix. Of any, I was going to say, yeah. Same. I mean, the most popular poodle mix we see, uh, well, myself and probably a, most people would agree with me in England is a cockapoo. So a cock spider. Oh, really? Yeah. No, here, here we be golden here. doodles. Mm-hmm. They're big. Here we have a lot of golden doodles. Like looking outside of my window right now, I would, if I watch for like 15 minutes, I'll probably see three rocking around and they're wow. big. <laughs> yeah. They, 
Golden golden doodles are so much bigger than a standard poodle and a golden retriever. So I don't really know what happened. <laughs> well, they vary so much because like here now they have all these different sizes, but they're never super small because sometimes they breed small poodles with golden. So they have like medium golden doodles and, 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 and big ones. And some of them are like massive, and like yeah. gigantic. Yeah. <laughs> My Lhasa fact is that Lhasa is the capital city of Tibet. And they think that the Atso is a word that comes from the Tibetan language that could mean, well, there's some debate over the origin of this, but they think that it could mean bearded or long hair, but it also could come from the Tibetan word for goatee or billy goat. <laughs> I just learned something new about it. <laughs> Always learning, darling. <laughs> yeah. But now we're at the end of episode six. We're just going to round things off with our quick fire round. So ask everybody these questions. I want really quick, honest answers. No bull. So are you ready, Gabriel? Okay. <laughs> okay. I, I wait. I don't know. Wait. Wait. Okay. Now I'm ready. Play your throat. Dog food of choice. Um, food for dog. Faith place to walk. Park. Number of dogs under your roof right now. Five. <laughs> Some people have to take a while to count, by the way. That's no, when you know you've got too many. <laughs> yeah. If you were a dog, what breed of dog would you be? Uh, standard poodle. Yeah, it's a popular answer. Fave holiday destination? Uh, Brazil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, beautiful. And your worst nightmare the dog breed to own? What would be your nightmare? A chow. Oh, yeah, a chow. Is it yeah. the hair? <laughs> it's the hair, the temperament, it's the mm. the smell, all of it. Uh-huh. So that's a wrap. Thank you so much for joining me, Gabriel. We'd be so delighted if you gave us a both follow on Instagram. I can be found at Verity Harcastle and Gabriel is at Gabriel Fetosa Groomer. So that's G-A-B-R-I-E-L-F-E-I-T-O-S-A groomer <laughs> so that would be really great if you could give us a both a follow don't forget that i've got my monthly webinar available on playback so get in touch with anything like that and thank you so much for listening again to pod on the dog please don't forget to rate five stars would make my day and subscribe to pod on the dog much love